Perspective really, really matters in our life. Um, and and um, we're going to be talking about this within the context um, of Paul um, in chapter 17. Context here, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He has Timothy, he has Silas, he has a whole bunch of other people. And they're traveling. They've been traveling um, for a while now. And every city they get to, they get kicked out of that city. They get to the next city, they get kicked out of that city. Um, and so at the end of chapter 16, they were in Berea. Um, they were kicked out of, uh, uh, Paul was kicked out of Berea and someone helped him flee, um, to safety in Athens and he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him. And so, um, actually that was, um, halfway through chapter 17 that happened. Um, and so we're going to start in verse 16. And so we're going to read 16 through 34 before we get into this. So join with me as we, uh, read chapter 17, 16 through 34. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And then also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers argued with him. And some said, uh, what is this pseudo intellectual trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the uh, Areopagus or Mars Hill um, and said, May we learn about this new teaching you're speaking of. For what you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these ideas mean. And now all the Athenians and uh, foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling and hearing something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of the uh, Mars Hill and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. Uh, for as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, uh, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Uh, neither is he served uh, by human hands. Excuse me. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, uh, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Uh, he did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and exist as though some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Being God's offspring, then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art or imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. Then Paul left their presence. And however, some men joined him and believed, including Dionysius, Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Um, in, in, this, in this section of scripture... Uh, we see Paul, obviously, he's wanting to tell people about Christ. Uh, but one of the things he does um, very well is he provides a lot of um, 
<coughs> excuse me, perspective. Um, there's a quote from John Stuart Mill. He was a philosopher in the 1800s. Um, and he has this quote from his book on liberty. It says, he who knows only his side of the case knows little of that. His reasons may be good and no one may have been able to refute them. But if he is equally unable to refute the reasons on the opposite side, or if he does not so much as even know uh, what they are, he has no ground prefer to, uh, for preferring either opinion. Um, we are a people who need to know what other people believe. To be able to do what Paul does and go and tell the gospel to people, um, he started from the ground of learning about who the people that he was even talking to. And if we're going to talk to people, if we're going to even have a, a simple communication with people, we need to even, we need to start with understanding where they come from, what they believe and why they believe what they believe. Um, and we see this happening here, um, in Acts 17. So let's, let's start here. So, um, so the point of all this is to share the gospel effectively. We must understand and know the people we are talking to. So point one of how to do this that Paul gives us an example of, um, point one is we must enter into their world. We must enter into the world. Uh, in, in this section of scriptures, 16 through 18, then kind of mirrors uh, 22 through 34. So we're going to be in both at the same time because he does the same three things in both. So the first thing he does is he enters into the world. If you see in verse 16, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols and he began to reason with the people. Oh, when Paul got there to Athens, he could have easily said, I'm going to find a restaurant to eat at. I'm going to go shopping, right? I'm going to find a hotel to stay in. I'm going to, I'm going to just, uh, find some beautiful overlook and just hang out and enjoy my time. But when he got to Athens, he began to look around and he began to see the idols that they worship. He began to observe and understand the society and the world that he was now in. Uh, he didn't stop to just enjoy the scenery. He was trying to understand the people that he was around. Before he did anything else, he was understanding this is who they worship. This is what they do. This is why they do what they do. And he began to see those things. And he began to talk to people. Every day he was going to either the synagogue or the marketplace. And he was talking to people. And when we talk to people, we listen to people, right? And so he was understanding people and understanding where they're coming from and what they're about and what they care about. Again, again, we see this later on in verses 22 and 23, where when he gets to Mars Hill, he's looking around. He says, I can tell that you're a very religious people. He had to figure that out somehow, right? He was observing what it is that they care about. He was observing what they worship. He was observing what they're into. He was observing, here's all these idols that you worship. And I even found an idol over here, an altar to an unknown God, right? He's recognizing the people that he's around. He's entering into their world and understanding who they are. Um, we have a very good example of this from the 1800s. His name was Hudson Taylor. Many of you probably know who, uh, I won't say you know Hudson Taylor because that would make you very old, and I'm not saying that. <laughs> Hudson Taylor was a man in the mid-1800s uh, from um, the UK, and uh, he decided to be a, he wanted to be a missionary to China. <clears throat> and so he traveled to China to, to tell people about Christ, but he was very different than the other missionaries in China. The other missionaries in China t uh, tended to stay on the um, the coast 
of China. And he, they stayed out there, um, and they, they continued to live and operate as people from, um, uh, from the UK. Uh, but Hudson did something different. He decided that he was going to go inland and he was going to travel on the roads into the midst of the villages and the towns that he would visit. And then he began to dress uh, like the Chinese dressed. He began to speak like the Chinese spoke. He began to learn their dialects. He learned how the different people groups spoke. He began to, he became like a Chinese person. He became like them and he had more impact in that country than the people who stayed on the outside, um, staying the way they were back home, right? He became like them. And then he, he used Paul's uh, verse from 1 Corinthians. He said, let us in everything that's not sinful, let us become like the Chinese that by all means we may save some. And he's using that verse there that should impact us to know that we should do, we should become all things to whatever people need. We should become weak to those who are weak. We should become poor to those who are poor. We should become whatever it takes to become what it needs to be to save some, right? And so to do that, we need to have the perspective of entering into someone else's shoes, entering into someone else's world, seeing life the way that they see life. If we're going to impact people's life. Um, most of the time we stay on the outside and we throw bombs into the other person's world and they throw bombs back, right? And as Christians, we have to love and care for people to want to actually walk in their shoes and see who they are and what they experience and how they view life and why they see life the way they see life and understand the worldview in which they live. They see their world. They're in their world. And so three applicational points for this. If we're going to enter into the world that we need, we need to know, we must understand their worldview without judgment, without judgment, because people live differently than we live. People operate differently than we operate. People have a different philosophy of life than we have. People uh, have a different religion than we have. People have different cares and spend money differently and dress differently and eat differently, right? And if we're going to care for people, then we need to not care about how they do things. We need to understand why they do what they do and actually care for the person. And so we need to understand their worldview without judging them for what they do. But say, I might not do this the same way. I might not agree with what they do, but that's not what I care about. Right now, I care about them. I want to understand why they see the things that they see and do the things that they do. So I have a better opportunity of bringing the gospel into their life. Right. Second, we must understand what they care about. We care about a lot of stuff, right? Each one of us in this room have things that we care about. But if we're actually going to want to invest in people, then we need to care about what they care about. We need to begin to um, not put down our cares and understand what moves them, what stirs them, what 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 convicts them, what challenges them. Care about what they care about. Even if you don't care about it, even if you don't understand why they care about it, even if you try to understand, you still understand why they care about it. Take the time to try to invest in other people. And then third, we must love them for who they are. You see, you see in um, verse 16, when Paul walked into the city, it said that his spirit was provoked. His spirit was troubled. Many times when we come into contact with people who are different than us, our flesh gets provoked, right? Our flesh gets provoked. We get, we might get angry or we might get judgmental or we might get um, envious or we might get whatever. And because someone's different than us and all of a sudden we're, uh, we're getting provoked on the inside, but it's not our spirit, but it's our flesh. 
and, it, and we have a wrong-minded kind of uh, being provoked. Our spirit should be provoked because we see sin and we want to bring Jesus into their life and draw them closer to Christ. So let our spirit get provoked when we're on people and love them for who they are. So the first thing we have to do is enter into someone's world. And ultimately, this is going to take time. This is um, this means dying to self, and this means we need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. People are God's creation. He has spent his time making each person on this world. He came to he left heaven to come to earth to die for each person. And if we're Christians and he called us to take the gospel to people, then we're going to have to do that. With an understanding of, I have to understand this person so I can better allow the, the, I can better allow the gospel to enter into the world. So, enter into their world. Second point. After you enter the, into their world, then we need to speak thoughtfully through their worldview. Speak thoughtfully through their worldview. Uh, and, and, and verse 17, it says that Paul reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those in the marketplace. He reasoned with them. This word reasoned is used 13 times in the New Testament. Ten of those times is in the book of Acts. Uh, there is a young man named, uh, he's not young anymore. His name is Vince Vitale. He works for uh, Ravi Zachariah. Um, and Ravi, uh, for those of you who don't know, Ravi is an apologist who goes around the world making the claim for Christianity. He goes to um, universities and he goes to uh, world dictators and he goes all over the world taking Christ to people and expressing to them um, um, the, the truth of Christianity. And so the, the, Vince is the, is the guy who works for him. And Vic's sto- uh, Vince's story is that when he went to Princeton as a college student, he was a skeptic. He did not believe in Jesus. And then someone told him about Jesus, and he said, if I'm going to believe this Jesus, um, this Jesus is going to have to be true. This Jesus is going to have to be factual. Um, and so he began to study the scriptures. And what stirred him the most was when he worked his way through Acts, he saw over and over and over how Paul reasoned with the people. Our faith has to come, has to be understood factual. Like, it cannot be you know, an emotional and a feeling-based um um, religion. Our, our walk with Christ can't just be based on emotions and feelings. Because our emotions and feelings change, right? It's based on facts. It's based on history. We can prove that Jesus died and rose from the dead. We have proof of that. He even says that in verse um, verse thirty one. He says uh, he has provided proof through the resurrection. Right? We can hold firm to the ground that Jesus Christ is God, and Jesus Christ died, and Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Historical proof of that. So our faith is grounded in truth and facts, not emotions and feelings. And I say all this because when we're speaking the gospel, we have to stir people up to Christ, not so much through emotions and feelings. We gotta we gotta provide facts and truth. Because people need to say, if I'm going to believe in this, this has got to be true. I'm not going to believe in something that might just feel good in the moment. Because when life doesn't feel good anymore, it's not going to last anymore, right? It's got to be uh, grounded in truth. So we see that in verse 17. Then moving into verses 22 and 23, um, when you're talking about speaking truth through someone's worldview. I love this. In 22 and 23, he's talking about the religious things. And then he points out the altar to the unknown God. Now, why would he point out this altar to the unknown God? He's pointing it out because he's recognizing, here's this altar of this God that you don't know who he is. I know who he is, right? 
He's pointing to what they believe and what they worship and what they're focused on and then bridging what they believe to the gospel. See, that's the thing about it. When we're, we're taking the gospel to people, we have to bridge it from where they're at to the gospel. You can't just throw the gospel to them and expect them to get it. We have to bridge from where they're at. And where were they at? They had this altar that they worshiped to this unknown God. Well, let me tell you about this unknown God. And then later, this is another thing. This is just great. In verse 28, verse 28, when he's talking to them about the gospel, he says, even one of your own poets says, for we also are his offspring. He's quoting the things that they quote. He's learning so much about their culture. He's pointing out the, the altars. And now he's pointing out the actual poets and what they say. These are the things that you say um, when you want to care and communicate with people. You need to understand what they spend their time doing. Who are they quoting? What are they listening to? And then draw from the things that they care about and then bridge that to Christ. We want to have a better impact in reaching Clarion. We need to know the people that we're talking to and be able to bridge from their life to the gospel. I grew up in the South where people would just tell you to go to door to door and tell people you need Jesus. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Believe in him. Believe in your heart that he um, has, um, he'll forgive you of your sins. If you pray this prayer, you'll be a Christian. Off you go. And the problem with that is there's no connection point for the person and the gospel. We all have a story, right? We all have life and we all have struggles and we all have stuff that's happened. And then when someone introduces Christ, if Christ does not meet us where we're at, it doesn't make a connection, right? It might be this historical story that we hear and say, that's powerful. But it's got it's got a bridge to our heart and to our mind. And people out there need to hear the gospel, but they need to hear it in a way that bridges to who they are. And Paul did this when he's saying, here's this poet that you guys quote. I'm going to use this in connection to the gospel. Here's this altar to this unknown God. You guys worship him. I'm going to bridge this to the gospel. This is the gospel. And what you believe is a doorway to the gospel. Every worldview of everybody we run to has a doorway to the gospel. Everybody. And we have a great example of this in the man named Jesus. When Jesus, what did Jesus do? When he started his ministry... He found these guys fishing, right? And when he found these guys fishing, he said, follow me and I will make you. You got it. Look at that. Fishers of men. <clears throat> Which we kind of get what that means. But how much more significant did they understand what that means? Because they're actual fishermen, right? They actually fish for a living. And so when he's making this bridge from I'm a fisherman and now I'm going to become a fisher of men. He's not just saying, uh, follow me and you're going to take, um, bring people to Jesus. He's saying, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. He's making a connection to who they are, to who he is, right? And how, how much better do they understand it? They understand the fish. They understand the sea. They understand when to fish and when not to fish. They understand what bait to use and what bait not to use and which direction of the boat they should cast the net here or to here, right? And we understand the bait is the gospel. The gospel is what we want people to grab a hold of, right? The sea is the world in which everybody is living and operating in the worldview that they believe. The fish is each individual person, right? And the tools that we use, the tools for the gospel. And, if, and these fishermen are like, like 
I know the best time and the best way to catch fish. It's the same thing with the gospel. I, I should know and operate in a world. I know the worldview of people. I know the people I run in, in, in contact with. And I know how to share the gospel. I know this gospel so well. I want to give them this gospel because they get a hold of it, right? He's making the connection from they were fishermen and now they're going to be fishers of men. When we're talking to people, we have to be able to bridge this good news to who they are. Or they're going to think it's just another sales pitch, right? There's got to be a connection. There's got to be a relatability. <clears throat> so if we're going to make that connection, if we're going to speak to them through their worldview, um, if they can't understand our language, they won't hear the gospel. We have a lot of churchies, right? We have a lot of words we use in here that if you spoke that out there, people would go, huh? Right? I mean, reconciliation. Redemption, Trinity, forgiveness, even the word sin, right? Not everyone out there understands the word sin. And if they have an idea maybe of what the word sin means, it's probably a, not a complete picture of what sin means. And so when we're talking to people, we need to meet them where they're at and communicate to them where they're at and not expect them to understand the language that we use. I mean, whenever I used to <clears throat> um, help with the kids, Whenever I would share things, sometimes I would speak and I'd get this kind of like glaze. They're like, what are you talking about, Mr. Scott? I was like, all right, I'm using words you guys don't understand. Let me dumb this down, all right? And it's not that we need to dumb it down. We need to be able to communicate to where they're at. And to understand where they're at, we need to know who we're talking to. Um, second, if, if the gospel doesn't connect to their worldview, uh, they won't hear it. And then if the gospel if is presented through emotions and feelings, I said this earlier, then it most likely won't stick. Because when life gets hard, that good feeling Christianity doesn't exist anymore because my life is hard. And where are these good feelings that I'm supposed to get from God? It's got to be factual. It's got to be based on truth. So we enter into their world. We speak through their worldview. And then third, this is <clears throat> pretty common sense, but it's here. And so uh, third point is understand and expect that everyone that we speak to will respond differently to the gospel. We see this in um, uh, in, in chapter 17, um, verse 18, where when Paul is talking to the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, they say, what, a, what is this pseudo intellectual trying to say? Uh, later on in verse 32, if they hear the gospel, they say, some people begin to ridicule him, right? People are mocking him and laughing at him and, and ridiculing him for believing this gospel, right? People, people will do that. If we take the gospel to people, some people will ridicule us. Some people will mock us. Some people will laugh at us. Some people will think you're stupid. Some people think if you need a crutch in your life to carry you through life, whatever, but I don't need that. Some people think you still believe in faith, right? Why do you believe in faith? We've proven that you don't need faith. People will say whatever. Expect that. Um, some people will want to know more. Uh, in verse 32, we also see it says, some people said, we'd like to hear more from you. Some people are intrigued. And then some people in verse 34 just straight up believed and followed, uh, followed Paul. People are going to, are going to respond however they respond. Our calling and duty is to take the gospel, right? And I'm, I'm, and one of the reasons I'm preaching on this today is because I felt like, what did Jason just finish preaching on? He just finished preaching on death. And the fact that at the end of death, we have this wonderful gift called eternity with God, right? And this last, the last Sunday, we just, we just spent time just imagining what it's going to be like. 
in heaven and just remembering, oh, what a wonderful day it'll be, right? When we see Jesus face to face and we just spend eternity with him. And if that is the truth and that is the reality, then what better thing can we do here on earth but tell people about this beautiful gift that we have in heaven and the beautiful gift of Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But if we're going to communicate that, we have to be able to communicate that with where they're at. The last, the last thing um, that I want to say, this is kind of like the bonus kind of gift that I see here in the, in the middle of these two things, the hinge point between 16 and 18 and then 22 through 34 is verses 19 through 21. And for me, this is kind of like this, um, I, I don't even know how, it wasn't another point. It was just, it was kind of like a, a, a cherry on top. It says, they took him and brought him to Bar's Hill and said, may we learn uh, about this new teaching you're speaking of. For what you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these ideas mean. When you begin to invest in people and care for people and love people and show people dignity and respect, even if they're very different than you, even if they have a different idea of how things operate, even if they're on a different political um, perspective than you, it doesn't matter. Wherever they're at, if you care for people and love them and show them respect and dignity, there will be a time where they will open up their life to a more intimate place. Paul was speaking in the generality of the public, of the marketplace. And as he was there day after day after day, they said, hey, why don't you come here? Where we, come, we, like to get, we like to get together up here and we can talk more about these ideas. Right? People, you can have a lot of face-to-face, very general conversations, but if you begin to invest in people, they will begin to open up their heart and their, their life to you in a way that they don't do that to everybody. Right? They'll invite you into their home. They don't just invite everyone into their homes. They'll, they'll invite you to places and, and, and the conversations and to life stories they don't just share with anybody. And I feel like that's a, that's a gift. That is a blessing to be able to have someone know that you love and respect them so much. You care about who they are and you're not just using them to just uh, shove the gospel in their face. And if they don't want to believe you, move on. No, I actually care about you and I want to invest in you and I love you to the place they're opening up to them, right? And, um, and in that midst of the, him, um, Paul being invited to this place that not everyone gets invited to, he then lays out the gospel very clearly. Let us look for those opportunities. Let us as a people, because if we're going to be Christians and we're going to be say, if we say um, we have eternity with Jesus and we love Jesus and uh, how amazing is the gift of Jesus, then we should want to tell people out there about this wonderful gift. This, this whole semester we're going through Mark and Basic. And um, our vision for the year is that we would uh, have compassion for the people so they would hear the gospel, so they would respond to the gospel. We would instruct them through the word of God. We would send them out as ambassadors for Christ and that we would all be transformed by the gospel. This whole vision of being compassionate for people starts with us saying it's not about me, it's about God. It's not about me and what I want. It's not about me and what I like. It's about me loving people. And some of those people are difficult. Some of those people are hard. And some of those people we don't understand. But it doesn't matter because we want them to know Christ. And so I'm going to understand why they believe what they believe. I'm going to understand why they do what they do. I want to understand how they see life so that I can bridge the gospel into their life. And I can bring, raise up another follower of Jesus because I took the time to invest in another person. 
Let us be stirred up in such a manner to do so. I say all this because I see in our world and in the TV and in the news, uh, we are getting more and more and more divided. And the more divided we get, the more we, no, the more divided we get, the less we understand one another. And if we're not going to understand one another, then we can't effectively take the gospel to people because that's what it's all about. We can have our worldviews and we can have our beliefs and we can have our agreements and disagreements. But if we don't get to a place where we say, you might see life differently, but I love you. You might think our world should operate this way and I think it should operate this way. And even if I think you're wrong and even though you think I'm wrong, I love you. I was watching a YouTube video on the the late um, Supreme Court. I'm going to forget their names. Um, Supreme Court Justice uh, um, Scalia. You know who his best friend was in the court? Um, yes. Say it louder. Thank you. They have two polar opposite views of how it should work. But when they're not on the court, they're best friends. They were best friends. I heard, I listened to that story and it just kind of moved me because we see this world so divided. And yet when they're away from that, they have such love and respect for one another. We have to come to a place where we love and respect people and want to understand who they are so we can take the gospel into people who need to know the gospel because that's what it's all about. Amen? It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. It's about his resurrection. It's about the life that he wants to give us. And so as we close this morning, as we sing, I give myself away. Here's my challenge for us this morning, church. My challenge for us this morning is that we would take the, take the time to say, I'm going to, I'm going to slow down in life. You guys can come on up as they come on up and we're getting ready to sing. Um, I'm going to slow down in life and I'm actually going to take the time to care about people and I'm going to die to self. This song, I give myself away so that you can use me. Can we sing this out of a heart that actually says, I want to do this? This shouldn't be just be words that we say. This shouldn't just be words that we just sing because we've sung it before. If you haven't sung it before, I'm learning this song, so I'm just going to say these words. Now, this is a prayer and this is a calling to God that says, God, I'm actually saying I give myself to you so that you'll use me. And if we're just singing this out of an empty heart, then it's meaningless. But if we actually want to impact Clarion County and, and Clarion University and the community here for the gospel, then we have to get to a place where we can say, I give myself away so you'll use me. Use me however you want to use me, which means I have to die to myself. So, so as we sing this song, I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. Stand with me.